Welcome back to the What's Your More podcast, man. I am glad to be back in the studio after being out last week on vacation. Uh, always appreciate Charlie holding it down here. But how about that episode we just had with Dan Habib? Man, did he unpack a lot. And Dan does what Dan did. And I mean, really brought a tremendous amount of knowledge, dropped a bunch of information on us, and just kind of recapped where we are in the economy and where we're going. If you haven't got a chance to check out episode 72, highly recommend it with Dan Habib. Uh, just brought some amazing information to the show. And one of the things I I really thought after listening to the playback in the studio and on the road was how Dan precisely broke down the PCE that was to come after we did the episode. Uh, I, you know, if you haven't listened to it, we recorded the episode one day before the PCE reading came out. And Dan nailed it. I mean, he, he literally said, you know, I think the overall headline is going to come in at point one, but I think the core is going to come in around point three, thus giving us a greater headline reading, but a not so great core reading. And I mean, he called it to the T. And I think that just kind of shows the expertise that Dan brings to the table, which is why we're honored to have him as a guest on our show multiple times here. But let's talk about that PCE real quick. I mean, to his point, you know, the overall reading came in at 0.1, putting the headline at 3.8, you know, and, and really create an additional headline, a big drop in, in PCE. Um, but the reality is the, the data that mattered right there was the core data. And the core is, you know, when we, we, we hear so eloquently when Daniel talks about it on the lending update, that what's, you're taking out food and energy at that point, and you're stripping those, those out and, and establishing a core reading. And the core reading was at 4.6, slightly down from 4.7. And that brings the question of, well, what is the Federal Reserve going to do? You know, the Federal Reserve meets on July 25th and July 26th, uh, towards the end of the month here. And they're going to have the advantage here of having a PCE reading um, that was semi-favorable, not really favorable, especially when you look at the core, which is what the Federal Reserve says they're measuring now. And then they're going to have the availability of the CPI, both headline and core, um, before they actually meet, which we will get two days from when we're recording this podcast on the 12th. And I think what you're going to see is the Federal Reserve right now, and Dan said it, is that, hey, listen, the quarter right now is almost a given, but there may even be a 50 basis point hike. Now, if you recall, my stance on that was, I, I didn't think the Fed's going to do anything. I think they're actually going to pause. But Dan brought to light some really good Good points. And one of those things I asked was, hey, listen, if you're trying to battle inflation at 2%, such as what the Federal Reserve states are trying to do, why on earth would you hit a pause? And he pretty much did a really good job of kind of dismissing the ideology of 2% target rate, that that, that number really should have never even come to light and on the table. Um, and he kind of gave some information as to how that was developed, and, and I'll let you listen to the episode. But he said, you know, the target rate's probably going to be more around 3.2 to 3.5. And they can get that core rate down to there. He said, but in order to do that, their, you know, their, their theology is they're going to have to increase rates. He did specifically say he didn't think that needed to happen, but that's what they're going to do. So it'll be interesting to see how that looks and, and what that does to the markets here, because what we've seen happen since these readings have come out in the last week here, we had a couple of things in this week review. We had PCE data, and then we had jobs report week. And jobs report week for me is really, um, I, I, I don't really put a lot of weight into that. However, it is a economic indicator and a reader that Wall Street looks at as well as the Federal Reserve because the Federal Reserve says, hey, listen, we want to see unemployment go up. Uh, right now it's at 3.6. They want to see a target range of somewhere between where they're at now and five. And the reading for that, excuse me, the reason for that was that there should be less jobs being created in a market where the credit is tightening. And we're getting job reports that are contradicting that. And one of those reasons is because ADP changed their metric on how they report. We have two major reporting um, indexes, if you may, for job reportings. We have ADP and then we have the BLS report. One is private sector, one is a non-private payroll sector. That's the BLS. When ADP reports those jobs, we have a historic reading from them 
over the last you know ten plus years of we, data we could look at and and actually say okay well these are these are trend lines these are things that we're seeing but in last September. ADP changed the way they measure jobs. Um, there's really no rhyme or reasoning why they did that. They stated that they were looking for a more accurate approach. But since they've changed that, it's been anything but accurate. And the numbers that we're getting are constantly revised the following month, which traditionally happens, but they're revised in just major numbers, not like 10,000. We're talking 110,000 in some cases plus. And so we see these revisions come in, and it contradicts the previous reading. Now, some of that's attributed to this massive amount of part-time jobs that are being created, which bodes the question, you know, if you're taking on a part-time job, is that because your full-time job isn't helping you pay the bills that you're currently, you know, encumbering right now in today's market? And there's a lot of theology that new jobs really aren't being created, that you have the same worker doing more than one job, and therefore that's kind of skewing these numbers a little bit. And then when we look at the BLS reading, which is the non-private payroll reading, it came in significantly less than expected and significantly contradicting what we expected after we saw the ADP numbers. So that's why I'm not putting a lot of emphasis on the jobs reports and really almost discounting it because it's it's contradicting itself. And at some point, one of these one of these indexes is going to have to balance the other one out and actually be more in line. And, and I'm going to say that probably is going to be the ADP one more so than the BLS reports. So that, that also had some way on the market. And what happened in the bond market is that we saw, unfortunately, a significant rise to the 10-year, you know, broaching over 4%. Um, oh, on the on the 10-year yield, which is applying tremendous pressure to the mortgage interest rates. And so uh, I think in this month, Daniel and the Lending Update is going to talk about this a little bit here, but we've actually got up back into the sevens again. And while that's not what we've been saying is going to happen, and I know that's exactly what some of our viewers are going to say, I will continue to say that what we said would happen is just going to be delayed further down, not necessarily in right now. And I, I'll tell you why, because what we're going to find is these core readings are going to start to come down. And as the core PCE starts to come down, the Federal Reserve is going to come down with that. And the Federal Reserve has an addictive policy to quantitative easing. That's what they've done. That's what they're known for. So we fully anticipate that at some point they're going to start relieving the market of the pain that they've caused by essentially raising rates at such a high amount. And I think one thing you're going to have to look for and one thing that I fully expect is that if they do raise these rates – Watch the regional banking system. Watch what happens because that's where the pressure is going to be applied in the banking system. That'll be the first place that you see it happen at. And we've already seen what happens when we had significant nine raises in a row. Let's see what happens when you do it again and take it over 5%, five and a quarter to five and a half or five, seven, five. You do that full half a point basis uh, increase that they were talking about. So the other thing that I kind of want to talk about this week that happened was that I saw a headline was really kind of interesting to me um, about, you know, a housing forecast. And, you know, I love to dive into these headlines because I take a look at them and I'm like, all right, let's see what's really going on here. And there are a significant trends happening that I started to research over the years with some help of one of our colleagues that we've seen more headlines over the last, and I'll go back to 2015, of just negative housing market reviews. And as I take a look at that, I'm starting to ask, well, why on earth, why on earth would these, would these news analysts keep predicting a doomsday in real estate? And, and one of the major culprits is CNBC, and that's because they are, excuse me, MSNBC, because they have a correspondent that, you know, absolutely does not like the real estate industry, apparently, um, and that she continues to put all of these different um, negative notions out there that the housing market is going down. And that's because she's 
citing certain sources, um, using certain home price indexes to refer to that it's going down, using the median price, for example, saying that the median price is going down, um, that we're starting to see declines in the real estate market, but yet the actual case Schillinger and the actual FHFA indexes contradict what she's saying, which are more real-time data coming in that we're seeing as well. And so, you know, one of these things that I started to research and look at was, you know, if you go back to 2015, CNBC housing article talks about a bubble that's larger than 2006. Now, this was in 2015. And then when we go into 2016, CNBC, same, I'm going to use the same source every time here, said we're in a new housing kind of bubble. And then CBC further went on and said, homeownership does not build wealth, study fines in 2017. And then in 2018, CNBC said, it's better to rent than to buy in today's housing market. Um, and then CNBC said, the housing market is about to shift in a bad way for buyers in 2019. And then we know what happened in 2020, but here's the headline again in 2020. It says, 2020 will be hard on housing markets, especially in these following big cities and lists what was going on. And then they said in 2021 that the housing boom is over and a new home sales fall to pandemic lows. Really? And then the one of the most recent was homeowners will lose wealth as rising interest rates weigh on home values. Now, I like that one because it bodes the question, well, rates are rising. So therefore, because it's applying so much pressure that the home prices should be coming down, but they aren't. The home prices are actually holding and they're actually going up still in most of the country. So then it bows the theology of, well, is it going to burst or is it not going to burst? And this goes back again to what we talked about with Dan Habib and something that I brought up is there is not enough inventory in all the previous years of 2006, 7, 8, and 9. One of the biggest differentials between then and now is supply and demand. Our demand right now is still there. Has it shrunk? Maybe the appetites have a little bit, but it's still there. But the supply has not replenished itself. In 2006, 7, 8, 9, we had way more supply and not enough demand. And the demand started to diminish and the supply only got greater because people were trying to unload their homes because they were basically underwater on them. And so today, no one's underwater on their home. You know, generally speaking, I'm willing to bet most people, if all, are not underwater on their home. They have an equity position in their home. Matter of fact, the average American has over six figures of equity in their home right now. And so when you're taking a look at the differential is if you're upside down six figures or you have equity of six figures, you're going to take the home with six figures of equity in it and you're going to do right by it. And you're going to take care of it. You're not going to let it go into foreclosure. You're not going to sell off the, the trees in the yard, rip out the light fixtures, sell the AC units, the things that we saw all happened in six, seven, eight, nine. Those were means that people resorted to because they had a place to go. They left that home and they could go rent somewhere. They left that home and they go rented another house and lived in it. There's nowhere to go right now because of that limited inventory. So because of that, the demand is still driving up the prices. And until that gets better, well, quite frankly, we're going to continue to see prices raise regardless of that interest rate. Now, are they going to raise 1%? Okay, but are they going to raise 10%? That's a whole other question to be asked, but they will continue to go up, and some markets will show more, you know, I guess, increase than others. Let's put it that way. But I will say this, that the point that Dan brought up, you know, we put this graph in our, um, in our, in our conversation with him is the following things, um, and I'm going to pull it up here as I'm talking. One of the graphs was the generational gap or the generational marketing. And one of the things that that they pointed out over there at MBS Highways, the following thing is that the millennial birth year of 1990 was the highest birth year that rivaled any other generation. And then from 1990 to 1993, those three years rival, those three years rival the birth rates of any other generational birth rate. Well, we're in the first year of that. 
And the reason we point out 1990 is because that's 33 years ago. And the average first-time buyer is 33 years old. So statistically speaking, that group, that's a whole new wave of demand that's coming on. And then 92 next year, excuse me, 91 next year will be another wave. And then 92 will be the following wave. And those three years combined will be the biggest three-year wave of 33-year-old buyers coming to the market. That means more demands coming online over the next 36 months. It's not shrinking like it should be. So, and we're also at some of the highest interest rates that we've seen over the last 11 years. Well, let's assume, okay, and let's just say we assume, but theoretically, those rates are going to come down. When is the question? Well, as those rates continue to come down, is that going to bring more buyers to the market or is that going to be less buyers to the market? Well, it's absolutely going to bring more buyers to the market, which is going to do what to a limited inventory? It's going to create a price war. And price wars only do what to the prices? It increases them. So this is why you're going to continue to see real estate go up, regardless of what the headlines are telling you, regardless of all those negative commentaries that are coming from those sources that I just cited. And by the way, if you calculate, you just compound calculate the average interest rate or the median price, and we're going to use Case Schillinger. We're going to use Case Schillinger, which is considered to be you know, the, the prim of the crop as far as real estate indexes, Case Schillinger index, index, excuse me, if you use that, those combined headlines that I just read, you put all them together, the appreciation would have been 60% during that time. So you would have lost out on 60%, and those were compounding years too during that time. That's, that is unbelievable that the news could guide people towards something that that's that wrong. And so I, I always find it interesting that you know, when you see a market specialist come online to whether it's CNBC, MSNBC, Fox News, it doesn't matter. When they come online, you know, my father-in-law said something to me the other night that I thought was just hilarious. He's like, they come on with an opinion right now, and it's an expert opinion. But you know, the one thing about experts is that they can change their mind every five minutes. So you're only getting their five-minute opinion at that time, which I think is quite uh, hilarious in its own right. But it does guide the consumer, and it does guide people to think a certain way. So all that I ask from what I'm sharing here is dive into those headlines. Make your own. Make your own decision. Don't let the news kind of influence you on where you want to go. Because in this case, you might be missing out on 60% appreciation. And if you're in the set of, I don't want to buy a home right now because I think home prices are too high— I urge you to understand the logic behind what we're saying versus the opinion you may be deriving there because it's going to be very hard. It's going to be very, very tough in the next coming years to fight the limited inventory with lower interest rates. And so, you know, I think that that's something that we wanted to share and, and, and kind of point out. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. Then the last thing I want to do here is uh, I saw a headline, uh, Charlie, I was trying to talk to you about this earlier here, but I saw a headline that was just 
mind boggling to me. When we look at something, um, you talk about freedom of speech, right? We talk about you should have the right to say what you want to say. Now, obviously, I urge everyone to, to be mindful and respectful of those around them, but you have the right to say what you want to say. So there was a recent article where the Consumer Financial Bureau actually did something that I cannot believe. So for those who don't know who the CFPB is, the CFPB is a financial um, protection bureau founded in 2010, uh, basically as a byproduct of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. And their job was to reform the regulatory industry. And, and what I mean by that is this, is that you know part of the creation was to consolidate several financial protection authorities across seven different federal agencies. And so bring them together. And so this one was a government agency to protect the consumer from deceptive and unfavorable practices, particularly in the lending section, whether it's mortgages, cars, credit cards, they're there to protect that. And so what they regulate is they are a supervision program to ensure that banks and non-banks comply with federal consumer financial protection laws, plain and simple. So the, without going too deep of a dive here, their job is to protect the consumer from deceptive lending practices. That's it. You look at their website, and there's multiple definitions of how they do that, mainly in terms and conditions, how you advertise, um, how to you you know the failure to not do a bait and switch, all those things that you think the word deceptive leads to. So there was a mortgage company in Chicago, and the owner of this mortgage company went out and made an independent podcast. Now you can see this would kind of obviously hit home and catch my attention, and. The, the, the person on the podcast started talking about credit scores and how credit scores were related to what you can and can't get in a loan and why he would recommend, based on your credit score, why you should maybe work on building your credit score to get a more favorable term and loan. Now, he wasn't lending to anyone. He wasn't taking callers. He wasn't doing anything. He was just speaking on his industry knowledge and giving expertise advice based on that. Dude, Charlie, can you believe this dude got fined by the CFPB? This dude got reprimanded by the CFPB for saying those particular things because he said he urged lower credit score borrowers to work on improving their credit so that they could get a better terms and conditions. And this dude got reprimanded by the CFPB. And by the way, the mortgage company did not own the podcast. So that is a, um, that is a scary headline. And, uh, you know, if that fine holds up in court, that sets a pretty uh, bad standard in the industry for freedom of speech and lending for a, for an, uh, you know, against a regulatory body. Their job is not to overreach um, podcasting. Last time I checked, and the and there's no deceptive there's no deceptive podcasting laws, right? And so all of this stuff, when you see headlines like that, was like, oh man, how could that even happen? So I'm gonna pay pay very close attention to that one, see where that one ends up, because uh, that that will have an impact on the industry here. And for the record, I do think the CFPB is a good, a very good uh, regulatory body and does great things to prevent deceptive practices. I just don't think their job is to monitor podcast lending when someone's giving advice. I mean, I can turn on it any of the socials right now. And there's tons of advice being yielded by people that may or may not be in the business. Some may be real estate agents, some may be mortgage lenders, some may have nothing to do with that. They may just be traditional investors, but they're giving advice. Most of it's good. Most of the stuff I look at is pretty good on there, but by no means do I think that deserves any type of, um, any type of regulatory oversight on giving advice like that. Just uh, And something as simple as, I think we've all seen commercials or we all understand that if you get a higher credit score, it helps you get a better terms and conditions. It's just that simple. So I don't think that this person was doing anything wrong. Matter of fact, I think it was a, a big, big, um, how can I say it, overreach, the best I can describe it here. So 
Um, guys, if you like what you're hearing on here, share our podcast. Uh, next episode we got coming up, Daniel Halverson, July lending update. He has got a ton to cover. I've already seen the agenda he sent over. It's going to be really good um, and a lot of breakdown of good things that are going on there, and particularly some of the new laws in Florida and real estate that's taking effect. Uh, you're definitely going to want to tune into that one. But if you like what you're hearing, share this podcast, five-star this episode. Um, you know, If you would, share it with a friend, share it with a family member. And then, you know, before I let you guys go, I just want to say that, uh, you know, I got a chance last week to go on vacation and uh, we went down to the uh, the Virgin Islands and uh, been there before and love the place. But uh, we definitely connected with a really cool group down there called Bon V. And I just wanted to give them a shout out here as I told them I would, um, because I was actually supposed to host a podcast down while we were down there as my producer shaking his head going, yes, you were supposed to do one. So we're not doing one today, but I actually ended up busting my eardrum while I was down there. And so the, uh, the amount of pain that I was dealing with did not quite quite operate with what I'm trying to do here today or do while I was down there. But hey, Bon V Hospitality Group, if you get a chance to check those guys out, it is 100% legit. The rentals that you can book from them and then they set up all the concierge services for you as far as travel, transportation, everything while you're down there. Shout out to Dan and Megan. They did a phenomenal job for us while we were there. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, specifically giving them the shout out because he asked me to do it for them on their behalf. So they were great. They definitely deserve it. Give them a, give them a shot. Check them out. Um, again, hey, if you like what you're hearing, share this episode. Check us out on YouTube at What's Your One More with the number one and check out our social at what's your one more with the number one. Till then, we'll see you guys very soon with this July lending update. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take it. I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live, so I put all into it, yeah.